Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. And again, we'd like to wish all of you ladies a happy Mother's Day. And if you're not a mom, just a happy Ladies' Day to you. I think that all ladies are very, very special. And so I pray that today will be a great day for you. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to 1 Kings 17, we'll look at verses 8 through 24 of 1 Kings 17. And by the way, we um, are going to receive, as I said, the offering for the uh, Florida Baptist Children's Home at the close of the service. We sent you a, an envelope in the mail so you could prepare for that offering. If you did not do so, there's an envelope in the seat today, and uh, you couldn't sit down without seeing it probably. And so I hope that you'll be prepared for that. In addition to that, there's an envelope in our uh, packet of offering envelopes. That's the one Mrs. Ray and I are using today. First Kings 17, we're going to look at verses 8 through 24 during the course of the message. The title of the message is One Mother's Story. A mother writes, my seven-year-old daughter, Jessica, is a deep thinker when it comes to theological questions. Recently, having the story read the story of Adam and Eve and how sin came into the world, we discussed why bad things happen sometimes. Later that week, Jessica was ill and had to stay home from school. Feeling miserable, she said to me, if only Adam and Eve hadn't eaten the fruit, I would not be sick. And before I could answer, she added, of course, if they didn't eat it, we'd be sitting here naked. Uh, That's, that's some pretty good theology for a seven-year-old, and it's the absolute truth. I think moms have the best seat in the stadium when it comes to seeing and hearing the ups and downs of life uh, from children. Michelle Sorensen did a wonderful job depicting what a mom's life is like with all the interruptions, yet trying to keep your focus and uh, needing to be several folks at once. At the end of each day, every mom has a story to tell. At the end of each day, every mom has a memory to keep. This morning, I want to share one mother's story. It's the story of highs and lows, and it's the story of tragedy and and triumph. In some measure, it's going to represent your story. And we're going to start with only the first two verses of our text from 1 Kings 17, now verse 8 and 9. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Now, we don't always get to see the backside of a story. We don't always get to go around and and see what really happened behind the scenes. In this case, we're going to see some of the backstory. God has done some mighty things, and God was about to do more mighty things. And in order to do so, he had to build the faith of a man named Elijah. Elijah was a a good man. Elijah was a godly man. Elijah had the power of God on his life. Yet even still, he needed his faith to be built stronger because Elijah was going to be called on in some extraordinary ways. He has already proclaimed the judgment of God on the land. Now he is coming out of exile by a stream where he had been hiding himself. And God tells him to go to a place called Zarephath. There he would find a woman who would be able to feed him in a time of famine. 
Now, in doing this, God builds the faith of Elijah, but he also reveals to us one mother's purpose. Here's a woman who had a purpose in life, and she found her purpose in life. Everyone is born with a purpose in life. I don't believe that there are any accidental people. There are no accidental babies. You say, well, we didn't plan for our baby. Well, you may not have planned for your baby, but it was no accident in the eyes of God. There are no accidental occurrences like that. God had a purpose for your child. God had a purpose for your life and has a purpose for your life. Now, I believe this, that just as surely as we are born with a purpose, I believe that we are born again to be able to find that purpose. There are a lot of people who are wandering through this world knowing that there's a purpose for them, but not knowing what that purpose is. And one of the reasons is because they do not have a guidance system within them that will help them hone in on the purpose that God has for their lives. God has designed all of us differently, and He has done so in order to suit His purposes as we fulfill our purpose. If we fail to find and do the purpose of God, it's not because there is no purpose for us. God has a plan for you, and God has a plan for me. He had a plan for this one woman whose story we're telling today. Let me tell you what his plan was for her, first of all. He had a plan for her to be a wife. The wisdom of Proverbs tells us, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean that every man is going to find the right woman and be married. It doesn't mean that every woman is going to find the right man and be married. But it does confirm the plan of God, that God intended for men and women to find each other and to marry and to live together and to have happiness and bear children and so on as he leads. Now, this is not great theology, but uh, there was a man one time named Percy Sledge who said it this way, when a man loves a woman, he'll trade the world for the good thing he has found. And uh, that is the truth. There is a a purpose uh, inside of the life of many, if not most women, to be a wife. There may be a desire by most women to be a wife, but God had blessed uh, this woman uh, with a, a man at some point and also had blessed uh, this woman with a child. Now, she was a widow, and we're going to see that in just a moment, but at one point she was married. So God's purpose for her life was to be a wife, secondly, to be a mother. We haven't <clears throat> come to that part of the story yet, but we're going to see that indeed she was a mother. And, and mothers are a very rare creation, I have discovered. Uh, when her child was born, <clears throat> she became a sacrificial creation of God. I, um, I, I know that fathers make sacrifices, and I, I know that <clears throat> some fathers make sacrifices on the level almost of, that a mom would make. But by and large, usually, the mom lives a sacrificial life. Uh, to a, <clears throat> a child, mom becomes everything in life. That's why when uh, a child goes to bed at night, usually they call for their mama. Uh, my little grandson, Harper, did that just the other evening. It's time for him to go to bed. and Dad was putting him to bed, and he said, Mama. 
He wanted his, his mama. And the reason is because there is a, a bond between a mother and child, and it's based on sacrifice. The world is a, a scary place to be, but, but mom is a safe place to be. The world can be a cold place, but mom is a warm place. Whatever the child needed, uh, mom, more times than not, becomes the answer to the need. They go immediately to, to mom. The father had a, a role too, but <clears throat> considerably different from that of a, a mother. And so this mother, this, this mother had a, a purpose in life. It was to be a wife. It was to be a mother. But the story continues. Her story is that she was a wife and mother, but something happened that she would not have predicted, that she didn't expect, and that certainly she didn't want. She became a widow. Her husband died. On Friday afternoon at 4.30, my brother became a widower. My brother lost his wife of over 50 years at 4.30 on, on Friday afternoon. After the service today, our son Matthew is in. We'll go and have some lunch, and then he'll head back to uh, South Florida, and we'll go to Nashville to be with my family uh, during the, uh, that time. My brother now is a widower, but that's a rather strange thing. <clears throat> there aren't nearly as many many widowers as there are widows. According to a Harvard study, on average, men are stronger, taller, faster, and less likely to be overweight than women. I I know that that doesn't sound right, but it's a Harvard study. Those guys are brilliant up there. However, none of these attributes seem to matter over the long haul. Women as a group live longer than men. In all developed countries, and most undeveloped ones, women outlive men, sometimes by as much as a 10-year margin. In the U.S., life expectancy at birth is about 79 years for women and about 72 years for men. The gender discrepancy is even pronounced, uh, more pronounced as people become very old. Among the centenarians, those people that are 100 or older, women outnumber men nine to one. You'll find nine women 100 years and older before you find one man 100 years and older on average. So this woman became what a lot of women became in that day and become today. She became a widow. I think she was a relatively young widow because she had a young child. Here's the third thing concerning her purpose, or fourth thing. She was to be a wife, she was to be a mother, a widow, but God intended for her to be a blessing. She didn't know that right away, but God intended for her to be a blessing. In all the combinations and difficulties of her life, God had prepared her to be a blessing to Elijah. She didn't know him, and he did not know her, but God knew both of them, and God made the introduction. And so, unexpectedly, she became a designated blessing by God Almighty. You ever thought about that? You ever thought that God may have designated you to be a blessing to somebody? God may have looked in your direction and touched your life and said, I want you to bless this person in that way. Whenever God leads you to do something kind and gracious, 
God leads you to do something generous and loving for someone else. You should listen to God because it could be that God has designated you for that blessing. God wants to use you in an unusual way. And so here is this mother's purpose. She was a wife. uh, She was a mother. uh, She became a widow and she became a blessing. Here's the second thing that I want to show you about the widow at Zarephath, and that is her plight. You see one mother's purpose. Let's look at one mother's plight. We'll take a larger passage from our text today, beginning in verse 10. So he arose, that is Elijah, and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm going to uh, gather a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son, and we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Now here's a woman who had a plight. Um, she's, she is facing the impossible in her life. First of all, she has the plight of famine. A lot of people were living in that plight. We all know that our country has been in an extended time of, uh, I don't know if the word is recession as, as it is uh, distress. We've been in an extended period of time of distress with unemployment numbers being very high and, and just a lot of things along those lines. Young people are graduating from college, they're entering the job market, and they, they don't have enough offerings for jobs, and so many of them are unable to find jobs. And while there is some recovery of the housing market, many people are still stuck in mortgages, mortgages that are greater than what the house is worth. There's enough wrong with our economy and our world that we might think everything is wrong, but everything is not wrong. We still have some very good things going for us. Now, I think this. I think that, in fact, I don't think it. I know. I know that, that many churches, if not most churches, have suffered financially because of a a downturn in giving. But the reality is, in many cases, I don't know if it's most, but in many cases, the downturn in giving has not been because of a downturn in income. It's just everybody's followed the distress, the general distress of the economy. I mean, people who are employed are, are finding themselves being more reserved about a lot of things. You say, well, there's not as much of this being sold. There's not as much of this being done. And quite honestly, this isn't a message on giving. I'm just giving you an illustration that we are not facing what this woman faced, but we are in a time of distress. Our country is in a time of distress. We're not even close to this. I mean, she was down to her last little bit of of flour and and was going to make something uh, for she and her son, and and that was going to be it. They had everything to go wrong in their house. They had <clears throat> lost the man of the house. There was, um, there was 
no recession or depression, there was famine, and they felt the full weight of it. And so great was the famine that the widow was designated uh, to be a blessing down to the very end of her food with no way to replace it. God said, I'm going to use you here at the very end. Take the last bit of your food and feed this man. She took the very last that she had, and she obeyed the Lord with it. I mean, this was a, a serious plight. She was not at the pretend end. She was at the end. There are a lot of people who get to what I think is would call the pretend end. They've lost everything, yet they're still going out to eat. They're still doing this. They're still doing that, and, and so on. She wasn't at that kind of an end. She wasn't at a pretend end. <clears throat> she was at the real, real end. Maybe you've never been at the end, but you've certainly come to what seemed like the end of your world. <clears throat> Some predicaments of life have, have left you without an answer, and now there is no visible route to you today, right now, as you sit, there is no visible route, no way out from the situation that you are in. You are in a plight. It may not be a plight of famine, but it may be a plight in some other way, and you say, I just don't see how I would get out of here. Well, that brings the second thing concerning this woman's plight, and that was the pressure of her faith. Here's a woman who was asked to take a step of faith in a time of famine. I'm going to say something to you I don't know that I've ever said uh, in a sermon. Certainly true. Faith always has pressure associated with it. Always. I don't know of a time that faith doesn't have some kind of pressure associated. In times of need, the pressure of faith is to, to obey God from a place of need. We determine that no one expects us to give or to go or to serve when, when we are in times of need. But that wasn't the case for the widow. He called on her to obey from her need. He said, I know that you're at a time of need. In fact, you are so far at a time of need that you're at your last meal. Now I'm calling on you to step, take a step in faith. Now I'm calling on you to obey in faith. We surmise sometimes, surely God doesn't expect me. After this, 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 and this, surely God doesn't expect this of me. When the truth is that oftentimes when we come, God brings us to that place of of need, and he said, now it's time for your faith, the pressure of your faith to kick in. Now it's time for you to really trust me that things are going to come out. So sometimes there's a pressure of faith when things are really, really bad. You know when the other time that that pressure of faith comes? When things are really, really good. People have a pressure of faith when things are are good. One one would think that in good times that we'd be eager to walk in faith and to to show God our trust in His plan. However, in, in times of blessing, we tend to forget God. In times of blessing, we tend to surmise that somehow or another, we pulled all this together ourselves. In times of great blessing, somehow or another, uh, we navigated those tough times and we pulled ourselves up by our, our uh, shoestrings and now we're standing up straight and, uh, and now we finally got somewhere. And that's the tendency is to forget God in the good times. And we can do that. 
It, it takes great faith to obey God in good times, just like it takes faith to obey God in the challenging times. What I'm trying to say is that there's always pressure associated with faith. Have you had to make a faith decision in your life? Well, of course you have. Here's what I can tell you about that faith decision. There was pressure associated with it. It's just so hard to make this decision. I understand that. That's the way that faith works. That's the way that it is. You're cast into the fiery furnace or you're cast into the lion's den. And you may say like the three Hebrew boys, our God will deliver us. But if he doesn't, you know, they left that caveat open. But if he doesn't, we'll still not bow. Have we endured the pressure of our faith to that point, to the but if he doesn't point? I'm going to obey God. I've got trust in God. I believe that God is going to see me through. I believe that God is going to take care of me. I believe that God is going to work this out. I believe that God is going to come through. It may be at the last minute, but I believe that God is going to work it out. I will prevail. God will prevail. I will be glorified in God because he is going to handle it. And then what if you get past the deadline? Do you still believe in God? Do you still trust God? Can you still say that God is great and good in your life? Let's all do this real quick. Let's all just take a a deep, I want you to, I want to hear it. Let's all take a, a deep breath of fresh air. Right now, go. Oh. Now, where'd you get that? That was God's. That was God's air. My sister-in-law took her last breath of God's air Friday afternoon at 4.30. The last one. I loved her. By the way, her name is Phyllis. And when I first moved down here for years, I saw Zephyr Hills. And because I had Phyllis stuck in my brain, I pronounced it Zephyrillis. And it wasn't until I was in the grocery store one day and I picked up a bottle of water and I said, oh, that's Zephyr Hills. And then I was embarrassed for all the times that riding down the road by myself, I had pronounced it wrong. This is God's air we're breathing. God gives us this. Are you hungry? You ready to eat something for lunch? You ready to go out to a nice Mother's Day lunch? You know where that hunger came from? God gave you that. I I could go on and on. What I'm saying here is that there's always pressure associated with faith when we don't realize that or don't appreciate that God has given us everything. The widow, widow of Zarephath had one kind of pressure. You may have a slight different scenario, but the pressure is just as real. However, when we continue to walk in faith, we come to understand this, the power of faithfulness. Let's go on. Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you've said, but first make me a little cake of it 
and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. God made a solemn promise and he, and he kept it. And it's from this time of extraordinary blessing that this mother faces a new and even more devastating challenge. I mean, here's this woman who's been given a purpose in life and she has fulfilled that purpose and God has shown her uh, how that he is faithful to her. And, and it was through the plight that she had of the famine. But then all of a sudden she comes to a powerful predicament in her life. I mean, a very strong predicament. Look at verse 15 of our text. And she went and did as Elijah said, And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elijah. And after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, uh, came and became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O woman, O, O man of God? You have come to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. Now, can you imagine the wild swings in this woman's life? Just her reference, her frame of reference is so unusual. We all live in a frame of of reference. Our frame of reference is how we predict life. We say, well, if I do this, that's going to happen. And the reason that we know that that's going to happen is based on our frame of reference of life. The last time that I was in this situation, I did this and that happened. Or I knew someone who was in this situation and that happened. So we predict what we might experience tomorrow based on what we know today and what we have known in our yesterdays. For this woman, her yesterdays included Uh, A husband lost, a famine that came, and faith that appeared resulting in faithfulness shown. Now there is a tragedy again. She is on a physical, emotional, spiritual roller coaster that has finally come off the tracks. Finally, it's just off the tracks. Your roller coaster off the tracks. Can you remember when it was? You know, I can remember times that I wanted to cry and couldn't because the roller coaster was off the tracks. And I wanted to just take time to cry over the roller coaster being off the tracks. But I had certain responsibilities in my life that wouldn't allow me to slow down and cry at the roller coaster coming off the tracks. Her frame of reference was such that that she had seen something now of, of all of life, the miraculous, the morose, the, the horrible part of life. I mean, it's just been tough for her all the way around. Her predicament comes from her reference. And, and then we see her resistance. She became angry, and understandably so. Her feelings were that this blessing that, that came with Elijah was a setup for a horrible fall, just a terrible fall. I'm set up to fall. Had God blessed her heart only to break her heart? 
had God boosted her to hurt her. Oh, man. There have been those that I have seen give themselves to the Lord, give their heart to Christ, uh, dive in head first, and in a matter of days, a matter of days, that, that test came and just totally wiped them out. Just destroyed them. Her heart had been broken. And, and there was something that she thought. Evidently, she had something in her past. And she said, are, are you now, did you, you man of God, did you come here just to set me up to be able to grind in the judgment of my life from the past? Is that why you're here? Are you here? Did God send you to get even with me? Did God send you to to hang a carrot in front of me and then while I reach for the carrot, cut off my arm? Is that why you've done this? She felt some guilt. She felt some anger. She felt felt what all of us feel. All of us. Deep, strong emotion. And it was a very natural part of dealing with transitions and tragedies of life whenever somebody has an extreme loss and I'm asked to in some way to be a minister in that and I I go to them and I I will say this is going to come to you like waves in the ocean and there are going to be some waves that come in and they crash on you and, and you get up and you're, you're mad because you've been knocked down again and you get up and you're, you're mad and, and spit in salt water and you're just angry about it all. And then things will flatten out for a while. Then you'll get angry again. And then it'll flatten out again. Maybe you had a big decision to follow the Lord in faith, but then you experience the unimaginable difficulty and dis- disappointment and despair. That's where this dear mother was. Oh, she came to the place that turned out best for her, a place that turns out best for all of us, and that is when she finally released. She just let it go. Verse 19, <clears throat> here's what Elijah said. Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him in his own bed. In all of the Christian life, there must come for each of us a time and a place where we just let go. We just turn it loose. And we just let God take care of the situation. And say, all right, I've been angry, I've been guilty, I've been afraid, I've been under this extreme pressure. And, and it couldn't be any worse. The very worst case scenario has happened. God, let me just release it. That's what she had to do. She had to release it. She was so distraught that she had blasted the man of God, but now she had to let it go. Hmm. 
what is it that I need to let go? Things jump on me. I, you may not know that about me, but things do. They jump on me. They jump on me and they grab hold of me. And I grab hold of them. And it's a wrestling thing. And then finally at some point, I'll say to myself out loud, Kathleen, I'll say, let it go, Randy. Let it go. Just let it go. Do I have any soulmates in here? Would you raise your hand? Do I have any soulmates? Yeah, you understand. <clears throat> Some point you do, you have to let it go. Just say, I'm, I'm not going to hold on to that. This is eating me up. You said, but even that, that bad? Listen, this woman released her child. In fact, let's just bring it to a close with her proclamation. Verse 20, and he cried to the Lord, that is Elijah, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? By the way, sometimes a man of God has the same question. I sat across the, from a husband and wife who lost their small child, and I looked at them and I said, I just don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. That's the way Elijah was. Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. Oh, what a tremendous swing. First of all, there's the pain. It was obvious. The prophet's pain was obvious. It was the worst kind of matter ever. I don't have to tell you the level of, of pain and anguish associated with the loss of a child. Some of you have been there. You've experienced it. And you can identify with her. And then there was a plea Elijah makes the plea to God. The last sermon that I preached on this was a, a message titled Bold Prayer. And I, I preached, I, I called it Bold Prayer when he said, Oh Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. Now that was big. First of all, he went to a grieving mother and took the baby from her arms or the child from her arms and said, Give me the child. That moment, I... I propose to you that that moment was the hardest moment in this whole story. Give me the child. What would you do if you were the mom? No. <laughs> no. I mean, sure, we've had food, but, but now my child is lost. And you know what I think? I think it's because of you. I think you came in here and you brought God's judgment with you. You're not getting the child. Even if she thought that way, she said, okay. 
took the child. You know this? You read it. He took the child from her in the house. Let me have the child. And then he took that boy. You wait right here. And he walked away. No! I've got to have the child. And he walked away. And he goes all the way out of sight. And he cries out to God. Did you kill this woman's child? Was there a purpose in killing this woman's child? God, let this child's life come back to him again. (laughs) And the child's life came into him again, and he revived. Miraculously. So there was the pain, there was the plea, and finally there was this pledge. Now I know that you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. After all that had happened, the mother found her faith. She pledged herself to it. Now I know. (laughs) Nothing Nothing anything else will ever happen. Now I know that you're the man of God and the word you speak is true. I want to close with a story about a great preacher. He's passed on now, I believe. His name was E.V. Hill. How many of you know the name E.V. Hill? <laughs> You've heard the name E.V. Hill. Ed Hill was his name. He pastored the Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles. He told a story about how mama's love and prayers changed his life. During the height of depression, his birth mother had five other children, didn't have enough food to go around, so she sent her four-year-old, Ed, E.V., to live with a a friend in a small country town called Sweet Home. Ed just called her Mama. That's all he called the lady, Mama. She was growing up, as he was growing up in Sweet Home, Mama displayed remarkable faith which led her to have big plans for young Ed against nearly insurmountable obstacles. Mama helped Ed to graduate from high school. The only graduate that year from the little country school, but he graduated from high school. And she even insisted that he go to college. And so she took Ed to the bus station and handed him a ticket and $5 and said, now go off to Prairie View College. Mama's going to be praying for you. Hill claims that he didn't know much about prayer, but he knew that Mama did. And when he arrived at the college with a dollar and 90 cents left in his pocket, they told him that he needed $80 in cash in order to register. Here's how Hill described what happened. I got in line. I can hear him saying, I, I used to love hearing him preach. He said, I got in line 
And the devil said, get out of line. But I heard my mama saying in my ear, I'll be praying for you. I stood in line on mama's prayer. Soon there was another student ahead of me, and I began to get nervous, but I stayed in line. Just about the other time, the other, just about the time the other student got all her stuff and turned away, Dr. Drew touched me on the shoulder, and he said, are you Ed Hill? And I said, yes. Are you Ed Hill from Sweet Home? Yes, I said. Have you paid yet? Well, not quite. We've been looking for you all this morning, said the good doctor. I said, well, what do you want with me? We have a four-year scholarship that will be will pay your room and board, your tuition, and give you $30 a month to spend. I heard Mama say, I'll be praying for you. What is your story, Mom? Can your children hear you praying for them? Have you come to the place of proclaiming God in good times and bad and meeting the challenge of faith? My challenge to you on this Mother's Day is to make this your breakout day. The day that you step over the pressures of faith and proclaim the goodness of God at all times. The day that your children hear in their ears always, Mama's praying for. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.